evening, everyone. Welcome to tonight's equipping and enabling training on evangelism through storytelling. My name is Ali Carr. I've had the privilege of serving at International Commission for four years, and I am the host for IC's E&E trainings. For those of you who are new around here, IC's mission is equipping and enabling believers of the gospel of Jesus Christ worldwide by partnering with local churches and evangelism to share his gospel with unbelievers and make disciples. We send teams all around the world on short-term trips to partner with churches to go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ. We train participants how to share the gospel in contextual ways using a variety of simple tools, whether it's your hand, a piece of paper, or even through storytelling. For 50 years, IC has been partnering with churches around the globe to strategically equip, enable, reach, and disciple people to Jesus. Each and every year, we receive hundreds of thousands of reports of people who have heard the gospel and made a commitment to follow Jesus while on earth. And we just hope to keep doing this for the next 50 years to the glory of God. The purpose of these E&E trainings is to equip and enable you to grow in confidence so that you can share the gospel and make disciples with a variety of people in all nations using different applicable gospel sharing tools. Everything we do at IC is filtered through the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This commission Jesus gave his disciples right before he ascended up into heaven, but his words are still applicable to us as his disciples today. He told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And then he left us with a promise. He said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So thanks for joining us tonight as we focus on biblical storytelling. This is going to be fun. Tonight we have Kelly H. joining us. Kelly grew up in Dallas, Texas. She's not only a proud Texan, but proudly bilingual, being half Brazilian and half American. She's trilingual in Portuguese, English, and Spanish, and has traveled to over 30 countries and lived in four. Her Brazilian culture is primarily an oral storytelling culture. Kelly graduated with a degree in international business and worked in the corporate world for three years before God audibly spoke to her and told her that he had been preparing her for ministry. Since then, she's worked at the Center for Mission Mobilization, which is soon to be VIA, and she'll explain that a little bit more. First, as a missions mobilizer in Mexico City, mobilizing Latinos to reach Muslims. And currently, she lives in Fayetteville, Arkansas, mobilizing local churches to have a heart for the unreached. Welcome, Kelly. You have trained on this topic before and have some wonderful real life experiencing using the tools and outline for biblical storytelling you are going to be sharing with us today. But before you jump into all of that, could you just tell us a little bit more about the amazing ministry that you work for? Thank you so much, Allie. It is so exciting to get to do this with you. Um, and yeah, like you said, come from the American culture and a Brazilian culture where storytelling is really. Um, definitely prevalent and maybe even the primary mode of how we communicate. I will um, jump into a little bit more about the organization I work for and what we do. So I work for the CMM and Allie, like you said, um, it is soon to be called VIA. The main reason for that is because we do everything via the nations and we go via churches to the nations we go via mexico to unreached muslims that type of thing so 
a little bit of background about what we do and why we do it. Um, currently, we're known as the Center for Mission Mobilization. So VIA and CMM is a mobilization organization. And if you're familiar with John Piper's terminology, uh, where he, he says that missions exist because worship doesn't, we kind of take it a step further. Mobilization exists because missions doesn't. So right now, there are 3.2 billion people, about 40% of the world, that are classified as unreached. Um, Ali, I'm guessing you probably have a good definition for unreached. Do you want to share that? Yes. Unreached peoples are defined as people who live in a community where the community or the culture as a whole has less than 2% evangelical Christians. So it means that there literally are not enough people who are followers of Jesus in order to adequately proclaim the gospel to all of their peoples. That's the definition of unreached people groups. Thank you so much. So in a really practical sense, someone who's unreached and in that type of area, um, they could call every single person in their phone and not a single person would be able to point them to Jesus or point them to someone who could point them to Jesus. So this is the heartbeat of CMM or VIA. This is the heartbeat of why we exist. The reason that we are not a missions organization and we're a mobilization organization is because less than 4% of missionaries are going to unreached people groups. So we see this gap of where believers are and where missionaries are going, it leaves the 3 billion unreached not engaged. People are not engaging with them. A really easy way to look at that is what we call the 80-20 problem. 80% of the world's current Christians live in Asia, Africa, and Latin American. They're actually Eastern. Only 20% of the global church is in the West. So that would be Americas in the West, for example. And right now, sadly, most of the world's Christians are coming from only the West. Actually, 80% come from the West. And only 20% are coming from that great majority. So that's the gap that we are stepping into. That's why I was in Mexico. Mexico has a huge population of believers and a huge potential to send believers to the unreached. So our goal is to mobilize missionaries from 50 countries that have at least 1 million Christians, specifically countries that are culturally and lingually close to the unreached. So that's just a little bit about VIA. I'll just refer to it as VIA from now on because we're going to be VIA permanently in just a few days. So that is VIA. All right. So the goal of this training today, as Ali alluded to, is to learn how to tell biblical stories. There's many ways to share the gospel. There's many ways to share God's word with people. And today we're going to focus on storytelling. So this is my goal for you after today, that you will be able to share at least one story about Jesus from the word, that you will be able to learn and share more stories about Jesus on your own, that you will know when, how, and with whom to use your stories effectively, and that ultimately you will leave with greater confidence to usher people into gospel conversations. Fear can drive a lot of these things, and I'm hoping that this will just lower that fear level just a little bit. Why storytelling? This is not the only way to share the gospel. This may not be the best way always. We have to always be listening to the Holy Spirit and to what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do in each moment. But this is just one tool for your tool belt. This is a way that works 
very effectively across cultures to share about Jesus. So I'm going to give you some stats about that. Did you know that over 75% of the world prefers to learn through oral storytelling methods? Over 75% of the world. The United States is not in that percentage. But I bet a lot of us prefer to learn through stories than the traditional ways we learn too. And what's interesting is that coincidentally, or not coincidentally, over 70% of the Bible consists of stories, almost like God knew or something that people would prefer to learn that way. And of the current over 7,000 living languages, 7,139 to be exact, only 57% have a developed writing system, which means they don't only prefer to learn through oral storytelling methods, that is their only option. And there tends to be an idea that these oral storytelling centered cultures are, you know, maybe really remote or removed or poor or just villagers somewhere out there. Um, but actually many highly educated people come from community-based oral cultures. And it's not only that storytelling is a preferred, preferred form of communication, it's really a way of life. So I'm a good example of that with my Brazilian background, that storytelling is just that's how we communicate almost everything. It's just, it's a way of life. It's what you expect to do. You expect to tell stories when you gather with your friends and family. And so this is um, just a really a way of life. And it's not only limited to those kind of remote tribal peoples. Because remember, over 75% of the world prefers to learn this way. So that's a significant portion of the world. So now I want to turn this a little bit to us because stories are effective not only in those 75%, but like I alluded to before, they're effective with any of us, just humans. So here's a question for you, Allie. Which is easier to, for you to recall? Is it easier for you to remember your sermon notes without looking at them and tell me what the sermon was about this past Sunday? Or is it easier for you to retell a story that you heard recently? definitely the story. Those are the ones that capture my heart and really draw me in. And those are the ones that I'm talking to my friends or husband about later is the stories that I heard. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, since, since we've been kids, I mean, we learn through stories and we can think of Disney, you know, how much did a Disney princess tale impact us or um, kind of tall tales or one that really impacted me is uh, the boy who cried wolf. I really, I was at an age when I started to learn what lying was and how I could use it. <laughs> and the boy who cried wolf really impacted me as a young kid. And it hits you in a different way. Like you said, it hits your heart, um, not just your mind. No, I mean, pe my parents could have told me over and over again, lying's bad, don't lie. But when I saw what happened to him and I could step into his shoes and imagine the fear and the emotions just hits differently. So for that reason, and many others, um, telling stories about Jesus shows others how to share God's word in a really simple way, in a biblically accurate way, it's reproducible and it's engaging. After all, people of any age, background, education level can tell a story, kids to elderly. You can tell a story to someone in a nursing home, you can tell someone a story to someone in preschool and they could retell it. You wouldn't have to train them, uh, they just can tell it. And Possibly, most importantly, Jesus primarily taught using stories. Jesus knows what's effective. 
So let's look into that a little bit more. Here's Jesus' example of telling stories. So the stories that he told, we might call parables. So just a fun fact, he told between 38 and 39 distinct parables. Um, that was a little odd to me when I first researched this. How can you, how can it be 38 to 39? It's because there's debate over whether the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, 19 through 31 is a true story or a parable. That's the explanation there. Um, and that actually equates to about a third of his teaching being in parables. As his disciples, would we not want to follow our rabbi's example? If we actually look specifically at Mark 33 and we replace the word parable for stories, this is what we read. With many similar stories, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a story. Wow. That's, I know, yeah. And that's not to say that we shouldn't ever say anything if it's not in story form. Only one third of his teaching was in parables. But it is to say that this is a really valuable tool to have to share the gospel in a simple, reproducible, and biblically accurate way. And it kind of takes away the stress of, what do I say? What's like, how do, am I saying something wrong? It, you'll see. It'll really help with that. Another reason that I really, truly believe storytelling is a really powerful, powerful tool to have is that there are places we cannot physically go to. There are places we cannot physically take Bibles to. But no one can stop you from sharing a story that's written in your heart. They don't know that it's in there. They don't know you have the Bible inside of you. They can't take that from you. So there is nowhere that a story cannot go. It cannot be taken from you. It cannot be taken from you in a way that you can't have it inside of you. It cannot be taken from you in a way that you can't share it with others. A physical Bible can be taken. An internal, written on your heart and mind and soul Bible cannot be taken, and you can always share it. So that's a really powerful thing and something that I think is valuable to have because you don't always carry your Bible around with you. You don't always have internet access. Maybe you're going to a country where you can't take a Bible. This is for you. And this is where I would really like to focus in on choosing a story. Because if I were you, I might be wondering, how do I know what story to share? And when? And with who? There's, like you said, the Bible, 70% of the Bible is made up of stories. So what do I do? And are there some I should avoid? Are there some I should definitely share? <laughs> so here's just a simple outline. This is a good place to start. Um, I have set up a series of stories that I have found to be really effective with people from certain cultural backgrounds. For these purposes, I'm fo focusing on people that are in the thumb people groups. For those who have not heard of that, thumb people groups um, are the top five religious groups that are classified as unreached. Remember, 3.2 billion people are classified as unreached, about 40% of the world. And these five people groups make up the five largest religious groups that are in that. So Thumb is called Thumb because it represents tribal, Hindu, unreligious, Muslim, and Buddhist people groups. So we'll start with tribal. For tribal peoples, um, they come from a, a power or fear power culture. So it's really effective for tribal peoples um, who 
typically will worship the sun, the moon, the trees, the stars, created things and have to appease spiritual beings. Seeing Jesus' power over weather and spiritual beings can be a really effective story for people who are from that background. So for the tribal peoples, there's kind of a twofer uh, story that really works. Um, when Jesus calms the storm and when he casts out the legion of demons into the pigs. I don't know if everyone knows this, but those things happen one after another, all in the same day. It would be really hard if you're if you're learning how to tell your first story to try to tell both of those all in one foul swoop. So you can pick one or the other. But if you want to tell them all, it's Mark 4, 35 through 31 or through 41 is calming the storm. And then Mark 5, 1 through 20 is legion. So, casting out the the legion so if you want to you could just go from mark 435 all the way to mark 520 and just tell one big mega story which thankfully would work really well in a tribal people group because they're primarily an oral story storytelling culture so that would be tribal um and then we go to the h of thumb that's hindu peoples so my focus for this the hindu culture is very diverse um very different if you think northern India, southern India, Bangladesh, um, it, it can really span. So for these purposes, I focused on Hindu peoples in America. Um, those tend to be higher caste Hindus. They tend to be wealthy. Um, they're not coming here as refugees, for example. They're coming here because they have high-paying jobs and they can get visas for those jobs here in the States. Um, and one unifying thing in Hindu culture is the importance of hospitality. Oh my goodness, maybe one of the most hospitable people groups. So there's a story that hits both of these qualities for Hindus in America really well, and that's the story of Zacchaeus. So if you remember the story, um, Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus. He's a short man, so he climbs the tree to see Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must dine at your house today. That sounds a little weird in our Western culture, like, whoa, okay, demanding. Um, for a Hindu, that would be an honor. Oh, you are picking my house to eat at. Okay, look, yeah, like, this is amazing. So that would be something that they wouldn't balk at. They would actually see Jesus honoring Zacchaeus through that. And then Zacchaeus is also a wealthy man. And what he does with his money, and he says he will repay fourfold what everyone, what he's taken from anyone, that would be a pretty impactful thing because moving up the economic ladder is a really um, driving factor for most Hindus in America. So the story of Zacchaeus can be really effective. And that is found in multiple places, but in Luke 19, 1 through 10. Uh, generally speaking, I found that Luke... Um, has the kind of simplest version of the stories. So when you're starting with the stories, the ones in Luke tend to be the easiest. They don't have quite as many details. And then as you kind of grow in your comfortability with that story, you can move to the more detailed version that can be found in Mark or John usually. But so that covers Hindus. Then we move to unreligious. So unreligious, uh, essentially, this is atheist or agnostic. Um, but unreligious, essentially, people tend to look at government as their god. They turn to government for protection, provision, um, as a guiding force. Um, that's a reason that unreligious are so politically driven, because that is where change is made. 
So for unreligious, that can be found internationally, typically through communist or formerly communist countries. And within the United States, um, we kind of see it broken into two groups. Those who are seen as bad by the church or, or feel that they are seen as bad by the church, typically that would be someone, for example, in an LGBTQ community, or just atheists who are just against the idea of God, typically because they see too much bad in the world. How can evil exist if God is good? So I've, I've chosen two stories, um, one for those seen as bad, and one for those um, who just don't believe God is real, and evil's here, and we're in a fallen world, and this is it. So for those seen as bad by the church, a story that I found to be really effective is the woman caught in adultery because it's very clear in this story that she has sinned and she is wrong. It's very clear the consequences should be to stone her based on the law. But Jesus' response is not to stone her. Jesus responds with mercy without negating that she should stop sinning. It's honestly a beautiful balance of justice and mercy. And so if those who are seen as bad by the church can see Jesus' response to her, has no one condemned you, then neither do I go and sin no more, is a very different message that I think they've internalized from the church. And then for atheists, those who are just against anything to do with God, don't see how he can be real, these are tougher cookies. <laughs> so this is not typically, this would typically be the group that when Jesus sent them out by twos, if your peace rests on them, go in the home. If it doesn't, dust your feet off and keep moving. Typically, this is the group where you dust your feet off and you keep moving. But if you have a relationship with an atheist who has really engaged with you and debated with you about things of faith, that's an opportunity. And telling stories of Jesus takes the eyes off of our own understanding and our own logic. And so what's really powerful about this story, Jesus healing the blind beggar, that's in Luke 18, 35 through, 30, through 43. And um, that's actually the story we're going to practice later. So you'll get an example of this. Um, what's powerful about this is that you're not just telling a story, but in the story, other people see him healed and respond to it. So that can be what you focus on. And this story is like, wait a minute, there are, there are witnesses here and they change their actions for this. What do you have to say about that kind of thing? So it's just a testimony of his power being real. Oh, and I forgot to give the reference for the woman caught in adultery. That's John 8, 1 through 11. Okay, and then we move to Muslims. So we've gone to the T, the H, the U, tribal, Hindu, unreligious. Now we're in the M of the thumb people. And I've split this up for stories between men and women. There, I have found there are many stories that can work with Muslims. Um, Muslims have a great understanding of, a, they share some of our prophets. They have an understanding of Jesus. Um, so there are many stories that can work for Muslims. Um, it's not as necessary to, to build these kind of bridges because they'll already have a basic understanding of, of Jesus, of God. Of course, Allah is not Yahweh. There are key differences. And one story that really shows the differences, for example, between Muhammad and Jesus is again, the woman caught in adultery. So it's an odd story to choose for men, but I think this is a good story for men because of that difference. This again can be found in John 8, 11, 1 through 11. And um, that combination of mercy and justice is not something we see exemplified with Muhammad. 
So for example, I actually have a Muslim friend who came to faith after she read the story. She had been reading the gospel of John and had kind of fallen in love with Jesus. She was actually in an adulterous relationship. She was married, but was in love with this other man in an adulterous relationship with him. So when she got to this story, she couldn't, she couldn't get to the end. She was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I can't, I don't want to know what Jesus does. So she stopped reading because she said, if he does just stone her, where does that leave me? Then I don't, I don't have salvation. I, I, there's no way out for me. This is me. But if he just lets her go, I can't respect him. That's just, there's no justice there. there. So, she, so she stopped. She stopped halfway through the story. And for days, she was just mentally just pouring over like, oh, what does Jesus do? Like, I don't know. I don't want to lose all respect for him, but I also don't want there to be no way out for me. And eventually she couldn't take it anymore. So she read the end of the story. And when she saw his balance of mercy and justice, that was the moment she came to faith. She goes, this is greater than Muhammad. Muhammad's decision would be to kill her. And that was her moment. So that's a big, big reason I think that that's a, a really big story for Muslims is it just clearly displays the difference between Muhammad and Jesus without debating that Jesus is better than Muhammad. <laughs> um, and then another story for women, so that would really work for men or women. But another story that I have personally found to be super impactful for Muslim women is the woman with the trouble of bleeding. That's found in Mark 5, 22 through 34. This is actually the first story that I learned to tell as a story um, because I was with a lot of Muslim women at the time. And I found this to be incredibly, incredibly powerful because it shows Jesus' compassion for her. He stopped everything. On his way to heal someone else, he stopped everything and found her, lifted her face. Um, women, Muslim women, especially in America, feel overlooked many times. And how Jesus seeks her out is just so powerful. So his compassion, how he sees her and his power and ability to heal her. Because gosh, when, when we've been believers for a long time, we can forget what it is to be hopeless. But those who are far from the Lord do not have hope. Their troubles are troubles and they do not have promise that they will one day be turned into glory and beauty and beauty from ashes. That does not exist. So when they see his power to heal and transform, oh, this can be really, really powerful. All right, and then we get to the B. So we've gone T-H-U-M-B, tribal Hindu, unreligious Muslim, and now Buddhist. So for Buddhist, this is possibly the worldview, maybe this and Hindu, that are furthest from our Judeo-Christian worldview. For a Buddhist, their main goal is to decrease desire because desire is the root of suffering. So if you eliminate all desire, you won't suffer. And that's what they're doing when they're med when they're meditating and they're trying to reach nirvana. That's a state where you have no desire and therefore you have no suffering. So there's not really a concept of sin and the need of a savior. It's very different. So um, unless you've been doing ministry with Buddhists for a long time, um, what really is helpful is just to build a bridge of love, start in a place that's familiar to them. So uh, one thing that's really uh, familiar actually for Buddhists is calming the storm in Mark 4, 35 through 41. 
Um, it's, it so shows Jesus calm in the storm, which is a similar quality to Buddha. He was very calm. Um, and his power is also something familiar, a similarity to Buddha. So this is just a familiar place to start. Um, and then from there, you can do your own research with Buddhists and, and move and grow as you deepen in relationship. And as you uh, learn more about the people, you can learn individually what stories will be more impactful. So those are the stories that I would recommend. Um, and then this is kind of the next step. Once you choose your story based on whatever people group you're trying to reach, um, slowly read your story for uh, three times and look for specific details. Um, things like, did someone sit or stand? Um, did Jesus lift someone's head or tell them to come to him? Those details can matter more in a different culture than we realize it can in ours. So things that we might overlook could be the key for that culture to understand what's happening. Um, so also in the same way, pay attention to specific things that are said. Um, don't say, and then Jesus healed them. Say, and then Jesus said, your faith has made you well. You know, that that is different. We do not want to add or take away anything from scripture. When we start taking away those details, we're taking away what Jesus has written for all nations because it doesn't work for our nation. He's written it for others then. Um, and another thing is we don't want to add. Um, this is actually what I found to be the trickiest thing for Americans is that we want control of the story. We have a fear of letting go and just letting the Holy Spirit do whatever it's going to do. We, we want to know what's going to happen. So here's an example of where I've seen us add, and this can really have detrimental effects. So in the story of Jesus um, calming the storm, right? I, I've seen people say things like, and then the wind and the waves stopped and the birds started chirping and the sun came out and, you know, kind of adding imagery. We don't know if birds were chirping. We don't know, really, I don't know if we know what time of day it was. It could have been the moon came out. I mean, we, we, we don't know those things. And to try, to try to add is ultimately trying to take control. So really, really suppressing that and not adding or taking away from the scripture is ultimately, it's, an, it's a leap of faith. It's an act of trust in the Lord and the Holy Spirit to take this and do what he will with it. Because his word is what? It's living and active. It's his word that is able to cut through bone and marrow. Our words and our ideas cannot do that. So just an encouragement, read the story slowly three times, looking for those details, looking for those specific things that are said to make sure that you don't accidentally add or take away. And of course, if you do, God is still good. He can still work and move. So don't put too much pressure on yourself. But that's an important thing to focus on when you're learning these stories. So there's one more step in learning this story. Um, and I'm going to take you to that because I'll share an example of when I first learned the woman with the trouble of bleeding. I did not use this. And let me tell you, it was a lot slower process. So next step after you choose your story, read it three times, paying attention to the specific details, is to create a storyboard. So a storyboard is basically a four to six paneled image. Think kind of like a comic book um, that helps you stay on track with the story. And so 
when I first learned the story of the woman with the problem of bleeding, the first story that I learned, what I did is I kept a tab open on my computer. And whenever I'd get on my computer, you know, I'd work on something, I'd take a break and I would look at that story and I'd read it. I'd try to say it to myself and then I'd read it and be like, oh man, I forgot that detail. Okay. You like try it again. I mean, it probably took me like weeks, maybe a month um, of just going back and forth to make sure that I got all the details because there's so many things we just miss. So this storyboard will really help streamline that process for you. So it can be used several different ways. You can use the storyboard for your own practice. Um, you can use it to help you stay on track while you're telling the story, um, or you can actually draw it out as you tell the story. So you give people not only the verbal story, but the visual. Um, and this is how you create it. So you wanna use locally reproducible materials like paper, pencils, pens, you could use a napkin if you're at a, at a restaurant, you know, whatever. Um, and that's really more important if you're sharing this with others and not just using it for your own practice. Um, when you're doing this, draw no more than six pictures. Ideally, you have four little squares, but no more than six. Um, and then make sure your pictures represent almost every word in your story. So we have an example here of um, Jesus healing the blind man. So in this example, we have the, in the first square, we have the city of Jericho. So we have a little city and it says Jericho at the bottom. We have Jesus, the way we know is Jesus is because he has a little crown on his head, a little stick figure Jesus. And then we have the other people walking with him because it specifically says Jesus was on his way to Jericho and a crowd is with him. So we just wanna know those things. And it says that there's a blind, a blind man sitting by the road. And when he hears the crowd, he asks what's happening. So instead of just writing this down as a story, I just put a little word bubble with a question mark that the blind man's asking what's happening. Then some of the people in the group respond, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. So I drew in their little word bubble, a little stick figure with the crown on it. So we know it's Jesus with an arrow that he's passing by. Then the next thing that happens is the blind man says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So in another little word bubble, I have the crown to represent Jesus, the word David, because I'm not very creative. I didn't know how to represent David in a short picture, and then mercy. So it's just little key words like that. Crown, David, mercy. Oh, now I remember he's saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So that's just an example. Um, you want to make sure they represent almost every word. I didn't specifically put every word, but things that will remind me of what he says. Um, you want to make sure that your Bible reference is on the paper. So I wrote the Bible reference on it, Luke 18, 35 through 43. That's helpful for my own knowledge. That's helpful if I'm giving this paper to someone after I draw it for them. Um, that's just a good thing to have on there. Um, if anyone even finds it, heck, let's say you lose it somewhere. They know what story you're, you're talking about. And um, for those who can visually see this, you will know that my drawing is very simple and that's actually good. <laughs> the more beautiful the drawing is, um, if the less people will feel like they can reproduce it. So really, it's a good thing if yours is really simple. So I'll kind of lay out the rest of how I've done this for those who can't see it visually, because I think that this will be really helpful um, I was not very good at these storyboards until I saw one of my friends do this and I got some ideas from her. So I'll make sure you have some ideas. So I already walked you through the first square. In the second square, 
after the after the blind man who is begging on the side of the road to Jericho says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Some people leading the crowd actually say, um, rebuke him and say, be quiet. So the way I, I showed that was some people stick figures in the crowd with angry faces. Um, there's a little word bubble is just a, a face with his mouth kind of crossed out. But what's the blind man do? He actually yells out even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then in the next square, so that's one square. In the next square, Jesus stops. So I have Jesus with his little crown and a little stop sign. I just drew a little stop sign. And he says, bring him to me. So I just put the words, bring him. I'd had no visual idea of how to represent that. But maybe if you're more visually driven, you could do that. So a little word bubble, bring him. And then once the blind man comes to him, so I had the blind man on, the, on a little mat in the first two squares. Now he's up from his mat and he's closer to Jesus. Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? So I just put a little, another little word bubble, just a question mark. And the blind man says, I want to see. Lord, I want to see. So in his little bubble, I put the crown so I wouldn't forget to say Lord, which I forgot, as you noticed, but I saw the crown, so it reminded me. And just a little eye, I want to see. So that's the third square. The fourth and last square is Jesus says, and this is how I laid it out, little eyeball, word faith, and a little red cross cross. Uh, uh, you will see, you will receive sight. Your faith has healed you. So that was, you'll receive sight, the little eye, faith, red cross, healing. <laughs> your faith has healed you. And, immediate, and immediately, and I put a little clock to represent immediately, he could see. So now the little stick figure blind man guy, he has his arms raised above his head. And instead of just two dots for his eyes, he has actual eyes that I drew out. And he immediately began to follow Jesus. And he praised God. And then all who saw also praised God. So then I just put a little group of people at the bottom. And there's the two uh, from the blind man and from the people, the little word bubble is just saying praise. So there's kind of an idea of how to do a storyboard. Um, Jesus has his little thumb out at the end, because I actually think I forgot to say, you will receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Or, or no, I think that's why I put the thumb, like is like, got it. <laughs> so maybe if you add too much, it might confuse you. So there's some tips and tricks for the storyboard. All right, so shall we try this? Shall we do a little example of using a storyboard to tell a story? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. So you always want to start your stories with, this is a true story from God's word. And you end with, that's the end of the story from God's word. This mm -hmm. might matter more um, in contexts and cultures where people just have no concept of Jesus um, or no concept of a holy text. Um, but it's a good rule of thumb. It's a good thing, way to get into the habit. It also shows that um, you believe this is a true story. You're not just telling a story about your friend, you know, going on a boat ride at the lake. You're telling a, a story of true story, Jesus silenced the wind and the waves on a lake. So it's just a good thing to get into the habit of. But let's give this a try. So Allie, you're going to be the person I'm telling this story to. And there's a series of questions after that I'll ask you. And because one thing that's important is, yeah, once you tell the story, then what? What do you do? So I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'll help you guys with what you do after you tell the story. So you ready to get started? All you right, ready to let's hear a go. story from God's word? I love stories. Tell me a story. 
Great. Well, this story in particularly is a true story from God's word. So one day, Jesus and a crowd were walking to the city of Jericho. And there was a blind man sitting on the side of the road begging. So he heard what was going on and he asked, what's going on? Well, some of the people in the crowd told him, Jesus of Nazareth is, is passing by. When he heard this, he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But the people leading this crowd turned to him and rebuked him. And they said, be quiet. But he didn't listen to them. He cried out even louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then what did Jesus do? Jesus stopped. He said, bring him to me. Once they had brought him to him, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he goes, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said, he replied to the blind man that was begging on the side of the road. He said, you will receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And then what happened? Immediately, immediately, the blind man could see. He received his sight. He started to follow Jesus. He praised God. And the whole crowd around there, everyone who saw, also started praising God. And that is the end of the story from God's word. I like that story. That's Isn't a good that one. great? So yeah. that's actually the first question I'm going to ask you. What did you like about this story? I like that the blind man was healed and he could see. Is there anything you didn't like about the story? I guess the people were kind of mean to him and and they didn't want him having anything to do with them. So that was kind of rude. I know. I, I feel like there are times that I can be like that too. If I'm just in a rush or like, I feel like I've, you know, I'm focused on something else, something really beautiful could be happening to the side and I'm just passing through it. So I don't like that either. <laughs> and what did you learn about Jesus from the story? Well, a few things. He has the power to heal and he was willing to heal. He also heard the man and actually stopped and asked mm. for someone to bring the man to him. He could have chosen not to. He could have just kept going, but he did stop. And also another thing I learned was that Jesus has many names. He was called the son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, and yeah. Lord. So I thought that was really unique. He was called by several different names just in that short that short passage. Totally. Yeah. You picked up on a lot from that. Um, is there anything that you learned about yourself aside that you are good at picking up on those details <laughs> or just humans in general from this story? Yeah. So I guess it is easy or even natural to ignore people who are poor mm -hmm. and needy, but also when you see something amazing, like this miracle that took place right before their very eyes, we're inclined to praise. We're inclined to praise something mm. when we see something so wonderful happen. Totally. Oh my gosh. So true. And that's actually something that's powerful to me about Jesus in this story is that, yeah, we are inclined to just keep going, to pass by, to just keep doing what we want to do. But Jesus didn't do that with us. We we're in need of healing. And he actually came from heaven as the son of God to heal us. He stopped whatever he was doing in heaven and he came to us and he brought us to him and he offers that healing to us today. It's so amazing. 
So is that actually something, have you heard of that about Jesus? Have you heard that he can offer this healing even to you today? I may have heard it before, but I forgot and I didn't really know, I guess that he could or at least do it for me. I thought maybe he could do it for the other people, but not for me. Yeah. He can absolutely do it for you. And he doesn't only heal blindness, you know, like really as humans, we are in a spiritual state of need. We are, we're sinful. We do what we want. We don't do what God wants. And Jesus came to pay for the cost of that. So we are guilty to God because we're, we're doing things he doesn't want us to do. And he's just, and he's good. So there's a consequence to this, but he doesn't expect us to pay it. Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that we could not live and paid it as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's available to you, Allie, Mm. that that same healing he gave the blind man, he can heal you from this state of sin. He's died for you. He was the sacrifice and the, and the payment for your sins. You can accept that today and he can offer you the same healing spiritually that he offered the blind man physically. Do you want to accept that spiritual healing? Well, how do you say no to that? That sounds good to me. Yes. Praise God. And just like the people, what am I doing? I'm watching this and I'm praising God. (laughs) Yes. Very cool. Nice. I like your, uh, you're like, well, I don't know. I've heard of this before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So what's really important about these questions is for those who can see on the screen here, we just did a mock, you know, a little mock uh, question asking time. Um, But what's really important about these questions is when you see five questions listed out, you can kind of turn into interview mode and you really want it to be conversational. Um, So here are the five questions. One, what did you like about the story? Which you may have noticed was that was a really easy question. Allie actually answered that before I even asked it. I just asked more details. She said she liked the story, made it easy to be like, well, what did you like? Then two is what didn't you like about the story? Uh, number three, what did you learn about Jesus from the story? And number four, what did you learn about yourself or mankind? Those are the first four questions. And really this sets you up to be able to share the gospel in a way that they will understand it. So I might have not have done the best job because it's harder to pre- to pretend. Um, I already know Allie and I know she knows the Lord. So I'm using a lot of Christian-y phrases <laughs> that I probably wouldn't use <laughs> with a Hindu or a Muslim. Um, so it was a little hard for me to pretend that in the moment. But um, what, what ultimately happens is you, you'll hear them say what they learned about themselves and mankind and what they learned about Jesus. So when you know those two things, it's really easy to then tie in. Well, what you learned about yourself is that you can be quick to pass someone who's in need. Well, that's actually sin. You can start the conversation there. Um, And then you can lead it into, but Jesus, he didn't just leave, you know, the blind man was blind. He needed help. He didn't leave him there. He brought him to himself. And this is actually what he did when he came from heaven. So you can tie those things in together based on what they say. Um, And that's so important. This is where we insert the gospel share. And heck, if you don't say the whole like, and he died and he rose again in three days. And, you know, like you might be telling them things that they don't know and understand. So this is an opportunity to tell them about Jesus in a way that they will understand the desire, the hope, and the prayer being that God will use that. And that this won't be the last time that you talk with this person. 
So after you do your gospel share, however it looks, then you give a decision opportunity. Some examples would be, um, you can ask if they wanna follow Jesus. Um, you can invite them to hear more stories now or in the future. And you can ask if they're willing to or would like to share the story with others. So those are just some examples of a decision opportunity. All a decision opportunity is, is an opportunity to make a decision. <laughs> that's all and it is. <laughs> that's all it is. And it's really important that these five questions plus the gospel share um, just are conversational. So you want to learn these questions well enough that you can just fit them in naturally. It's not an interview. <laughs> Um, and what's really, I want to, I want to highlight something about the gospel share here. Um, why is sharing the gospel so important and scripture will help show us that. So why share the gospel? Romans 1 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because why it is the power of God that does what? that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It's the power of God. We don't want to remove the power of God from these stories. And it's the power of God that brings salvation. So that's why that gospel share in there is so crucial. But what I really want to make clear to you here is don't, you don't have to overthink it. You don't, I mean, it's okay if you say it wrong, if you stumble over words, it's okay. Ultimately, they're still hearing about Jesus. They still understand who Jesus is and that they need him somehow. And that is the good news, that they're in need and that Jesus can fill it. So don't overthink it. And really, ultimately, don't not share stories about Jesus because you're worried about how you'll share this part. That is fear. And we were not given the spirit of fear from God. We we're given power and love and a sound mind. And we should not be ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. I think the questions are really excellent to follow up with afterward because it's not just you speaking and talking the whole time. I love that you emphasize that this is a conversation, not an interview, because especially when you ask questions, you're involving them and making sure that, you know, they're engaged in what you are saying. <laughs> so it's also a little test to see if they're listening. I think the questions are greatly intentional. Hey, what'd you like mm -hmm. about the story? Is there anything you didn't like? what did you learn about Jesus? And what did you learn about people from this? And that's really digging into God's word. And it's more than just reading or listening to a story. It's asking those critical thinking questions mm -hmm. that can lead to that change of heart. So I love that you shared those questions because that can really make a difference in this storytelling. And like you started us off with earlier, everyone loves hearing stories. We enjoy telling stories about our life or something funny that happened. And if Jesus is the most important thing in our lives and salvation was the greatest event of our lives, like let's share that story with others and let's engage them in that process. Thank you for sharing the questions and, and sharing the outline of, of how to follow up in a conversation mm -hmm. after you share the story. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Allie. And yeah, you make a good point is if salvation was the most important event in our lives, why would we not share that? And if sharing the gospel is the scary part of this for you, that's a good place to start. Oh, wow. This is what you learned about yourself through the story. Well, actually that's true of me too. And there was a time when that's just how I was all the time. Well, actually, I learned that Jesus could heal me just like he healed the blind man from all of those things. And, and you can just start from there with sharing your story. 
because mm-hmm. it's also in Revelation that they were shared, they were saved by the blood of the lamb and the power of our testimony, of their testimony. So testimonies are also powerful. Yeah. So that's really valuable. And I will say that asking these questions, I've been really surprised by some of the answers. Um, I was even surprised by yours that you said, oh, well, I noticed that Jesus was referred to by many names. I feel like that's something I don't notice when I read it myself, but hearing it as a story, I start to notice those little details or like words, like immediately, mm-hmm. immediately he was healed. Uh, the, I don't know. Those time words hit me differently when I hear it as a story. So I love that that's what you picked up. And generally speaking, once you start telling stories like this, anybody who's listening, I think you'll be surprised by some of the answers you get. They might be a little bit more profound and they might even notice things you hadn't noticed before. So mm-hmm. it's a pretty um, sharpening thing to do. Well, Kelly, I also like that you said the Bible is is God's word for all nations. And mm-hmm. we as Americans in the West might read a story, but miss specific details that someone in the East or another culture, it's a really important detail for them. So something that you just pointed out, like the word immediately, Mm -hmm. I might just glaze over that word, but the fact is that Jesus healed in that exact moment. It didn't happen a few hours later. He didn't, Mm -hmm. he didn't go to sleep and then wake up healed, but a small detail such as immediately can make such a huge difference. So thanks for pointing out that fact that God's word is for all nations and those Mm -hmm. details matter to, to everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. So, so true. So I know that if I personally were listening in, I would be wondering, um, but what if, for example, the city of Jericho, they don't know Jericho. Do I say Jericho? Do I say he was going to Jericho? Do I say he was going to a city? Um, so there, I have an example on the screen for contextualizing for Hindus. Now I got this example from people who have worked and lived in India So this um, level of contextualization may not be necessary for Hindus in America who speak English and have heard of Jesus with his name, Jesus, the Greek name. Um, But here are some examples. Uh, For example, if we were to ask a Hindu in India, what did you like about the story? Um, You can explain that you liked that the blind woman was healed and could see, but you can explain that Yeshu, which is how you would say Jesus, said that his faith healed him, that Yeshu was able to see the blind man's heart. It was his faith, not his outward works that saved him. This is coming from someone who understands that outward works are very important to a Hindu. And he wants to differentiate that it wasn't wasn't, um, what the blind man did, but it was his faith, the inner, that saved him. Um, And then instead of what did you not like about the story, you could ask, do you have any doubts? Um, Just a different way to ask for what do you learn about yourself or mankind or humans or people? You could say, how would you answer Jesus if he asked you what you wanted him to do for you? You can add add an extra question based on the story. And then this was the example um, gospel share for a Hindu perspective. God sees our hearts and he sees our sins and that causes us to be separated from him. He loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. So he sent Prabhu Yeshu, Jesus Messiah, who is God, therefore has never sinned. He sent him to die for our sins, to pay the penalty that we deserve. He paid it for us through dying for us. He paid it in full. That little detail we might not realize is an important detail to share with someone until we understand the culture. Um, we no longer have a debt to pay. We no longer have to pay for our sins, but only if we trust in Prabhu Yeshu, and I'm not pronouncing that right, and let him change our hearts. 
And then the decision opportunity here in this example is, would you like to be changed like the blind man and follow Yeshu as your only God? Mm-hmm. So there's some examples of contextualizing. We wouldn't have to say as your only God to a Muslim, but we would have to say, would you like to follow Yeshu as your only God to a Hindu? So th- hopefully this gives you a good understanding of how you can contextualize. The more you learn about a people, the more you learn about the culture, you can see where you might need to contextualize for them. Mm-hmm. So I think that's just a helpful example. So a couple of ways to start living this out. Um, for um, These are some VIA resources. And I imagine that I know IC is, or International Commission is headquartered in the Dallas area. So I'm good at putting our Texas Dallas area leaders contact on here for if you want to start any of these studies. Even if you're not in the Texas area, you can still reach out to him. He can either connect you with whoever's in your area or he can connect, get you connected to those studies. So these are really good. These are small group studies to do within your church, um, within a strong community of believers, whatever it may be. But I'm just going to lay these three out that are really effective for storytelling. The first one is our study called Welcoming the Nations Among Us. It gives a biblical basis for welcoming internationals, refugees, etc. Biblical basis for that, and then the practical ways on how to reach out. Actually, the last lesson is a welcoming plan. And you actually lay out, who do I want to, what international person do I want to reach out to? What am I going to do with them? Where are we going to go? Or where am I going to go to meet international people so that I can do X, Y, and Z with them? So that would be a really good way that as you're going through the welcoming study and learning the storytelling tool, it would lead you really well and to be able to utilize it with those from primarily oral cultures. And then um, if you just want a a biblical basis of missions and you want to see all the ways that you can participate in reaching the unreached, that would be um, our explore study. Biblical basis of missions You go through God's word, you go through the state of the world, you learn a lot about the unreached in that one, and then you go into God's work. So you can pray for the nations, you can welcome the nations, you can go as a missionary to the nations, you can mobilize to the nations, or you can send missionaries to the nations. And it will take you through each of those habits in a smaller way. And then if you're a parent and you're like, well, I don't. I can't really go anywhere without my kids. It's not like I'll just be doing this on my own. This is really impactful. This resource is called Parenting with a Global Vision. So this helps you as a parent to also bring your kids into this mission and do this as a family. I have found this to just be such a beautiful thing um, for my friends who are parents. So this would be a really good resource to do. It's meant for a small group as well. These all are. Um, for parents to encourage one, one another and to give their par- their kids a vision for the nations um, and a heart that matches God's heart for the nations. And then if you want to get one of these studies, either you can go to our website, um, which will be vianations.org. Um, currently, at this very moment, it is mobilization.org, but that will change. So keep those both in mind. Um, and the contact for that, if you'd rather go through someone and you want to get connected and have someone help you um, lead a study at your church or something like that, that would be Robert Ewing. He's the Texas area leader for VIA. And then if you just want to grow simply in the storytelling skill, you know, this is for if you want to, what you've learned today, you want to put in place. But if you want to be like, no, I want to go deep in storytelling. 
Then I would send you to E3 Partners. E3 Partners has an entire division that is oral strategies. They work with a lot of those people groups in the 75%. Um, and they actually have a Bible storytelling workshop coming up April 24th through 28th at their headquarters in uh, Plano, in Plano, Texas. So if you want to go into a deeper training, um, I've given you kind of the base and they'll really take you deep. Um, so that's a training you can do. Or if you just want to get connected to people who do this regularly, this is their job, oral strategies. This is just a part of my job. Th this is some people's full-time job. So if you want to get connected to people who do this full-time, um, I've connected with Steve Sims. He's the director of oral strategies at E3. And he said, please share my email. I'd love to hear from people. And I've shared the link here where we can you can find uh, future E3 trainings um, and register for that training in April. So that is what I have for you guys. Well, thank you again, Kelly. I loved even, even you said you just kind of scratched the surface. This is just part of your job. It's not your full-time job, but you did an excellent job. And I, I'm excited to personally adapt some of these oral storytelling skills that you taught us today. So thank you very much for sharing everything that you did. If you're new around here to International Commission, maybe this is your first training, or you want to learn more about our organization, you can go to our website, internationalcommission.org. We're also on the socials, Instagram, Facebook. Go ahead and look us up there. Since you're here on YouTube, if you want to click the subscribe button right below this video, you can subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss any videos or future trainings that come out. You should do it. The videos and trainings <laughs> are awesome. Thanks. We've done lots of other trainings over the past couple of years on how to share with Mormons and, and Muslims and Hindus and so much more. So if you go to our website, internationalcommission.org, click on resources, you can find all of our past trainings there, or you can send us an email if you have any questions about this training or what other trainings or trips or ways that you can get involved with our organization. We would love to invite you into that. We have another training coming up in two weeks from tonight. So wherever you're joining us from tonight across the country, you can see the times right there. It'll start at the same time wherever you are locally. And that training will be on how to share the gospel with Buddhists. And this is the first time that we'll be tackling this specific um, religion. So I'm really looking forward to it. Again, that'll be in two weeks from tonight on April 6th. And we have a wonderful presenter who's going to be joining us then. Hope to see you back here in two weeks. And before we close out, Kelly, would you mind just closing us in a word of prayer, please? This was such a great time that we had, and I would love to just have you pray over all of us who are watching tonight. Absolutely. I would love to. And I would also say at that Buddhist training, it'd be a good idea to ask him what stories he's found to be effective with Buddhists. So yes, I'll keep could, that in mind. Yeah, you could uh, get some intel there. But yes, I would love to pray. Um, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to connect with believers all over the world, to connect with those who are far from you, those who are lost or even unreached all over the world through technology and through other means. God, I thank you that you are bringing the nations and the unreached to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would just use us mightily, that we would be mighty weapons for the kingdom, Lord. And that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And I pray that you would give us the words to say when we need them. I pray that you would um, fill all those who are listening and watching 
um, with just an excitement to share stories about you, Jesus. Um, you are so incredible. And I pray that you would give us a fire, a passion, and a joy to share these stories about you that are true. They are true stories from your word. Um, I pray that people would come to salvation through the storytelling that happens at, from this call. Um, I pray that um, we would have new brothers and sisters in the kingdom, that heaven would be rejoicing along with us on earth um, through the salvation that comes through this skill. So Lord, I pray that it would be used um, to glorify you in every way. And I just pray that um, you would do more than we could ask or imagine through this. So I ask all of this in Jesus' powerful, sacrificial, and worthy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kelly, again. This was such a great training. I appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us tonight. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your evening, and hopefully we'll see you back here in two weeks. Thank you.